So today we are starting, for those who don't know, we're starting a new series, and I'm quite excited about this. My husband and I felt for a while that we need to go through foundations in the church. You know, it's all very good and well, um, preaching a lot of messages that build on foundations, but at a certain point it's important to go back and check that we're all on the same page in terms of our foundations. Amen. There's no point building and building and building, and we all got different foundations. And maybe for some of us, our foundations are a bit rickety. Okay, so today we're starting a series called Rebuild Ultra. And some of you may have gone through the Rebuild booklet. You may have done some of that. You may have done it a long time ago. You may have done it more recently. But that's okay. We're going to go through it as a church. So we're all at the same place. So we're all building on the same foundations. Foundations are critical. Amen. Okay, so today I'm going to be starting with this great salvation, this great salvation. And this message really about salvation is the foundation upon which all other messages must be built. It's the foundation upon which our lives must be built. You know, I was looking on, uh, on, on Google this morning, <clears throat> Dr. Google, <laughs> and um, I looked up foundations and it was just saying how foundations are there for stability and for longevity and to be able to help the building or whatever the foundation is holding up, to be able to help it to withstand changes in elements, tornadoes, storms, earthquakes, floods, and so forth. And so in our lives, our foundations in God are so important because how many of you know there are often changes in life? We all face storms in life. We all face uh, tornadoes, floods, you know. There's some earthquakes that happen, and we've got to be able to stand and keep standing in the face of all of these things. And in order to do that, our foundations have to be secure. Amen. Are you all with me? Is it just cold? Are you all like buckled into your, <laughs> your, your, your coats? Okay, so as you're listening to this message on this great salvation, I want you to remember that this was God's big plan. This was God's plan from the beginning of time. He knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin. He knew that he was going to have to come up with a plan to redeem man from sin. Of course he knew that he's God. And so this was his big idea, the big plan, salvation. This was the big plan that was going to cost him the life of his son. And I want us to remember that because so often I think, especially as Christians, when we've been Christians for a long time, we kind of take it for granted. We're like, oh, salvation. Oh, the gospel. Oh, okay. And we switch off. Or, oh, the gospel. Oh, that. Yes, I've heard it. Well, actually, I'm wanting to remind us that this was God's plan. This is the good news. This is the most earth-shattering news in the world. This is the news that changes people's life for eternity. This is the news that cost God his son. It's very important. This is the news that Jesus died so that we could carry and bring many people into the kingdom for. So it's really important and it's really important that we understand it in its entirety. It's important that we're able to communicate it in its entirety. It's important that we're able to apply it to life. So when I'm in my business, when I'm in my workplace, when I'm at home watching TV and I'm hearing you know, various cartoons uh, saying certain things and my kids are watching, can I listen through these ears and be able to apply a biblical worldview of salvation and the gospel even to that? Can I do that? So it's important we understand it, and that's what I'm wanting to unpack today. So are you ready? 
Okay, one of the reasons my husband gave me this message to preach is because it's quite long. This lesson is quite long. And I can get through a lot of material fairly quickly. So I'm going to instruct you to fasten your seatbelts, okay? Because we are about to take off. <laughs> okay, we've got a lot to get through. And a lot of it is scripture. A lot of it is word. And I'm specifically going to read all the word, that, all the, a lot of the verses, because God's, God says in Hebrews that his word is alive and active. So it's powerful when I read his word. So I'm going to be reading the words and I'm trusting that it'll get in, in deep into our hearts. But before I start, I'm wanting to read this quote by James Stewart. And it's taken from his book, Heralds of God. And I'm wanting us just to reflect on ourselves as we listen to this. Because I think, although he's talking about a minister and a preacher... We are all carriers of God's gospel, and so in that way, we all preachers. We call to share his message with everyone, aren't we? And so in that way, this actually applies to all of us. He says, surely there are few figures so pitiable as the disillusioned minister of the gospel. High hopes once cheered him on his way, but now the indifference and the incalcitrance of the world, the lack of striking visible results, the discovery of appalling pettiness, spite, touchiness, and the complacency which can lodge in narrow hearts, the feeling of personal futility, all these have seared his soul. No longer does the zeal of God's house devour him. No longer does he mount his pulpit steps in thrilled expectancy that Jesus Christ will come amongst his folks that day, traveling in the greatness of his strength, mighty to save. Dully and drearily he now speaks about what seemed to him the most dramatic tidings in the world. The edge, the verve, the passion of the message of divine forgiveness, the exultant lyrical assurance of the presence of the risen Lord, the amazing supernatural grace, the urge to cry, woe is me if I preach not the gospel, all have suddenly gone. The man has lost heart. He is disillusioned. And that, for an ambassador of Christ, is tragedy. You know, in church today, it's so, easily to, so easy to let the narrowness, the, the recalcitrance, the pettiness in church rob from us the love of God's church. It's so easy to see things by the eyes of the natural in church and let it rob us the passion for the gospel. It's so easy to look around and say, well, I don't see the results that Jesus spoke about and we grow weary in doing good. We don't share the good news. And I'm here today to encourage us, to strengthen us and to say, let's keep on doing good. Let's keep on sharing the good news. The good news is powerful, whether we can see it or not. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the very starting point of this great salvation, of this incredible uh, message, of this incredible great news is, what is man's condition outside God? And this is very important. What is man's condition outside God? Well, God created man as a three-part being, um, soul, spirit, and body. We know that, okay? He created us in the image of God, and he created us in un uninterrupted communion with him and in perfection. So that is how he created us. Now, Adam sinned, and when Adam sinned, everybody who comes from Adam, in effect, is born in sin, so man's condition outside of God is born in sin. Man is born in sin and a slave to sin. So there is none that is good. 
There is no one that is good. So when you hear people talking and saying, yeah, well, man is good. Well, well, we are good. We, we good. You know, sometimes we just trip up and do some bad things. That is false. That is humanistic. Man is depraved. Apart from God, man is born in sin, and all men are sinful. From time to time, they may do good things, but those good things in God's eyes are like filthy rags. Okay, so we are born in sin and we are a slave to sin. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all man because all sinned. Because in effect, we all came from Adam who sinned. Amen. Okay. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Psalm 51 verse 5. 1 John 1 verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So when, we are, when you are born, when you are brought up as a child, before you receive what Jesus did for us on the cross, you are sinful, you are dead in your sins, your spirit is dead. End of story, okay? That is the truth. And I love what Malcolm Muggeridge once said. He said, the depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable fact or reality. But at the same time, it is the most intellectually resisted fact. And that is true. It's if we look around, we can see that man is depraved. We, you don't have to look very far to see it. Look at hijackings, you know, the stuff that you see on the streets, the stuff you see happening in schools, the stuff you see happening around us. You know, the stuff we see happening in marriages, we can see that the depravity of man is empirically verifiable, but it's so intellectually resisted. People are like, no, I'm good. No, I just dress, I look the part, I go to church, I smile, I'm a nice person, and that's good enough. No, it's not good enough. You can go to suits in your, you can go to hell in your suit with your smile and your niceness because it's not enough. Amen. Okay. Man is not good. No man is good. If, if we were good, we wouldn't need a savior. So the first thing is, man is born in sin and is a slave to it. B, man has no inclination toward God naturally. Romans 3 verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. John 3 verse 19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Our natural inclination apart from God is that we have no inclination for him. Our inclination is for deeds of darkness. Okay. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's God saying these things. Okay. See, man has no understanding of the things of God. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we have no understanding of the things of God. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. That's why sometimes you can take a scripture that is so alive to you as someone who's born again and filled with the Spirit, and you can try and explain it to someone who doesn't know Jesus. And for them, it's like, huh? They don't get it. Because they don't have the Spirit of God to make it alive and to make it relevant, okay? So man has no understanding of the things of God apart from him. 
D, man's mind and conscience were affected by the separation from God. Titus 1 verse 15 says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Even their mind and conscience are defiled. That's why sometimes you can look at someone who's in sin, according to your renewed mind, and you can wonder, how can they continue living like that? Surely there must be something inside of them that tells them that it's wrong. Surely they know that sleeping with another man's wife and then another man's wife and doing this, but surely they know that that's not right. Surely there's something. No, their conscience is defiled. And you know what? You can be a believer and continue in habitual sin and your conscience will become seared and the Holy Spirit will no longer quicken that in you because it's habitual sin. You're going to carry on doing it. So I want to encourage you to refrain from habitual sin because our consciences can become seared. Amen. So apart from God, man's mind and conscience, conscience are affected. Okay? It's defiled. E, man is spiritually dead. All men are spiritually dead apart from God. Ephesians 2 verse 1, And you he made alive who were once dead in trespasses and sins. So when we are not born again, we are dead. We are dead. Our spirit is dead. Amen. Okay. Which leads me to F, the last one in this section. Man is on the road to eternal damnation apart from God. Okay, so apart from God, the picture is not looking very pretty, is it? <laughs> it's not looking very hopeful apart from God. Proverbs 14 verse 12 said, there is a way, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. John 15 verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8 to 9, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Those are very severe words. Those are very severe words. Mark 16, verse 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Surely the compassion of God must rise up in us when we hear these words and think, sure, I need to share this with so-and-so or so-and-so or so-and-so. Amen. Okay, so that is the condition of man apart from God. It's not a pretty picture. But the good news is that God made a way for us to come back into relationship with him. And he made a way for the picture to look a whole lot prettier. And he did this through Jesus. And so Jesus is the source of salvation. Who is the source of salvation? That's the question I'm going to be answering. Who is the source of salvation? Okay. Now it's important that we understand that because man is born in sin, he's powerless to remedy his own condition. So it's necessary that someone come from the outside to rescue us from the condition that we find ourselves in. And the word in the Bible that's translated salvation in the Bible is sozo, and it means to save, to rescue, to deliver, or heal. Who can save us? Who can rescue us? Who can deliver us from the condition that we find ourselves in? A, a sinful man does not have the power to redeem another sinful man. A sinful man cannot be our savior. It had to be a pure, perfect Man, Psalm 49 verse 7 says, None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. 
Psalm 62 verse 2, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Now, if I apply this to all of life, it's very interesting if we allow the Holy Spirit to touch our, our hearts. The first thing, we cannot redeem ourselves through additional sacrifices of animal blood. We cannot redeem ourselves Okay, no other sacrifice is needed for our salvations. Christ's work on the cross was a complete work. We don't need to give offerings to some great mighty man of God prophet for our salvation or to hold back the sins that happened. You know, I heard someone saying that once. No, you must bring your offering to the man of God because we need that. That offering needs to be there because you need to be protected from everything that your ancestors have done. No, my dear. No, sir, Jesus' sacrifice happened, and his sacrifice was enough. And we do not need to make any more sacrifices for anything, for whatever my ancestors or your ancestors did. Amen. Jesus' blood is powerful enough. No other sacrifice is needed for our salvation. Christ's work on the cross was a complete work. Hebrews 10, verse 1 to 4 and 11 to 14 says this, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. It's talking about the sacrifices that they would bring each year in the Old Testament, that the blood of those animals would cover their sins. Okay, it would cover them, but it wouldn't remove them. But Jesus' sacrifice removes our sins. And from, as far as the east is from the west, they are removed from us. Amen. That's powerful. For the worship, for, uh, for then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is rem a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sins. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You know, sometimes the enemy likes to bring things against us, bring old sins that we've repented of against us. Well, you can turn around and use these scriptures. Jesus died once and for all, and he removed those sins from me as far as the east is from the west. And God chooses to remember them no more. So why should I remember them? Amen. Number two, we cannot be redeemed by our ancestors. Acts 4 verse 12 says, nor is, there any nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. There's no other prophet. There's no other God. All roads do not lead to the same God, people. All roads do not lead to the same God. It's not the same God with many names. There's one God. There's one Savior, Jesus Christ, and He is the way, and there's no other way. And we have to come to terms with that. We can't be PC and say, oh, okay, is that your God? Okay, it's the same as my God. No, it's not. We all differ on many things. Amen. Okay, we cannot be redeemed by our ancestors. And as I'm preaching this message, you know, as I was praying through this message, I was just saying, Lord, can you show me in my heart where I'm looking to other things for salvation or to deliver me 
or to provide my way of escape. Because often we think, no, we're fine in this. No, we don't, we don't have this problem. But often there are other things that we turn to as a God, whether it's food to provide our comfort, our savior. You know, what do I turn to? Is it that person's approval that I think I'm holding on because I think that that is going to make a way for me? Well, there's only one way, and that's Jesus. And so as I'm preaching this, yes, I'm preaching it on a simple level, but I'm also wanting us to go deeper and say, Holy Spirit, show me. Is there someone else? Is there something else that I'm looking to for salvation? Is, this, is, there my jo- is it my job? I'm looking to my job to provide for me, but there's only one provider. You know, who is my faith in? Is it in God? So A, one, we cannot redeem ourselves. Oh, sorry. A, sinful man does not have the power to redeem another sinful man. B, God must take the initiative to redeem man, which is, which is what he did. So God is our salvation. Psalm 35 verse 3. Um, actually, let me read Psalm 62 verse 1. Truly, my soul waits for God. From him comes my salvation. In any situation, God is our salvation. Amen. Number two, Jesus is the only way by which we can be saved. John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not any other prophet, not any other man of God, not any other person. It is Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father except him. Number three, how did God provide salvation for us in Jesus? Okay, and I'm grateful that God is a God who sees that he's a God who doesn't get uh, disillusioned by us because he never was illusioned in the first place. So when he created Adam, he already knew, listen, I'm putting this tree in the middle of the garden. Just like you know, moms, if you put something in the middle of the house and you tell your kids not to touch it, They're probably going to touch it, okay? So God was just the same, and he knew when he told Adam and Eve, you can eat from everything, but do not eat from this, that they're probably going to do it, okay? And he made a way. He, he already provided. He already, he already knew. And I, and I just love that. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beautiful. A, Jesus came to earth to live a life of obedience to God. That's why Jesus came to earth. He came to earth knowing that he's going to live a life of obedience. He's going to be sinless. And then he's going to choose to lay down his body and take all our sins upon himself and die and go to hell and be re- resurrected back from the death, from the dead. And in so doing, he would buy us, buy us back. Jesus came to earth to live a life of obedience. Philippians 2 verse 5 to 7 says, Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant or slave, and coming in the likeness of men. You know, sometimes... I think we can become so high and mighty in our minds concerning ourselves, concerning who we are or what title we carry, what position we hold, and we forget that we're supposed to emulate Christ. Amen. So he came in the likeness of men and made himself of no reputation in order to bring us the gospel, in order to buy us. So who am I? 
that I think I am to this or to that to make myself of no reputation and share the gospel with someone. Jesus did that. Okay? B, Jesus gave his life as a substitute for our life. Isaiah 53, verse 4 to 7. I've read the scripture a number of times, um, but I'll read it again. Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that has brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. So Jesus gave his life as a substitute for our life. And he bought our peace and he bought our healing. Okay, number one, he did it so that we could receive his righteousness. This, I love this, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We carry the righteousness of Christ. So when I come to pray this morning, tonight, when I come to worship, when I come into the presence of God, I'm saying, Lord, I'm here to pray. Maybe I didn't pray enough. Maybe I haven't read the word enough. Maybe I did something that I'm not proud of. And although I've confessed it and repented of it, the shame is still hanging over me. I'm wanting to walk away. I'm wanting to walk into his presence, but I'm carrying condemnation or shame. There's something. Well, you know what? This is such good news because it means that if I've confessed and I've repented of my sin and I've turned away from that, when I come into his presence, I'm not coming with my righteousness. Hallelujah. Okay. I'm coming with the righteousness of Christ that he has freely given me. Isn't that just mind shattering? Isn't that good news? It means that whether you are someone who just got born again and received the gift of salvation and the gift of Christ's righteousness, or whether you've been a, a Christian for 50 years and have led 30 million people to the Lord, we come with the same righteousness before God. Isn't that awesome? Christ's righteousness, okay? So one, he, he died and, and gave his life so we would receive his righteousness. Number two, that he would receive the punishment of being dead and separated from God. And this to me is such awesome news as well. It means that when I come before God, I can boldly approach his throne of grace in time of mercy. I mean to find mercy in my time of need. Amen. I can come boldly. I'm no longer separated. You know, in the Old Testament, they didn't have direct access to our Father. They didn't have direct access to God. They couldn't pray freely as we do and speak to Him and hear Him. Okay? They had a priest there to offer sacrifices. The prophets spoke to them. But today, we can hear God speaking to us for ourselves. We have direct access, and Jesus bought that for us. He, 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 he did away with that separation of relationship between me and God, because when sin entered the world, separation happened. But when Jesus died and rose again, when we receive that gift, he takes away that separation and we back in relationship with God. 
2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 to 15 says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Strong words there. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So in Jesus dying and buying back my life and buying my access to the Father and giving me his righteousness, all of those things that come with salvation, in receiving that, I'm also giving him my life. And my life, I now have to live for him. You know, the problem that we have in Africa, someone once said, is the gospel of salvation is a mile wide and about an inch deep. You know what that means? That many people come up and pray the the salvation prayer. Lord, I receive your salvation. They confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they walk out that door and nothing changes. Or maybe some people do confess him as their Lord and Savior, but they live as if their life is their own. Habitual sin, you know the challenges that we're finding even in the church, in marriages, people. Husbands, unfaithful to their wives, and they think it's okay. No, it's not okay. You're not living. When I said, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Savior, I'm saying I receive you as my Lord as well. You can't say, I receive you as my Savior. Cool, I've got my fire insurance. Now I'm going to heaven. I can still live as I want, and at least I'll go to heaven. No, I receive you as my Savior, but I also receive you as my Lord. And when I receive you as my Lord, my life is not my own, and I live according to your word. Amen. So many of the problems that we have to counsel people through, that we have, we have to pick up the pieces, broken pieces, because people somehow will not submit their lives to the word of God. That's the manual for life, people. That's the manual for life. That's the manual for living. When I say I receive you as my law, as my Savior, I receive you as my Lord, and I'll live my life. It's not my own. Amen. Amen. But I'm sure it doesn't apply to you. I'm preaching for everyone who's going to hear by, by way of the, the camera. Amen. I know. I know you guys are sorted. Okay. Romans 6 verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, the thing that grieves my heart is when people say, I receive you, Lord Jesus, as my Savior. And they treat it with, they treat it with like just so familiar with that. He gave his life. And now I cannot simply keep myself, and I don't want to be, but you know, as a man, I, I simply cannot put boundaries and keep my zip up and keep myself to my eyes for my wife. I just can't do that one thing. But Jesus gave his life and I can't do that. Come on, people. You know, come on. Or I can't wake up and pray because it's just too much sacrifice. Come on, people. My life is not my own. Let's take it to another level. Let's take it to another level. Let God speak to our hearts today and say, you know what, you've been living at this level, but now we're going to live at this level because of this great salvation, because we have a new revelation of the cost of this salvation, of what it cost our Father. It cost Him His Son. It cost Jesus His life. And we are so, we just like, oh, cool, I'll come to church on Sunday, I'll wear my pretty dress, I'll smile, I'll look good for all the people, and then I'm out of there and no one knows what I do during the week. Well, hello, God knows what you do during the week. 
and he bought your life for a purpose. And the only way you're going to enter that purpose is if you start here, this great salvation. He's your savior. He's your Lord. Let's live like that. Amen. Then you'll fly. Number three, Jesus' death provided for us a regeneration and a rebirth of our old spirit. Our spirit, our spirit that was dead in sin becomes alive. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There's only one way that our spirit is regenerated and renewed. We receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and he regenerates our spirit. Our spirit is connected to him, and our spirit becomes alive. Okay, so what must we do to receive this salvation? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> okay, and this, remember, as you're listening to this, it's to give all of you and all of us greater understanding that we can share it when we walk out that door. Amen. So what must we do to receive this salvation? We must believe in Jesus through faith. Romans 3, verse 21 to 26, you can read it in the notes afterwards. I'm only going to read a small portion of it now. It says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith, uh, through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. So we must believe. We must believe, okay? B, we must believe that Jesus died and rose again. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 to 6 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. Listen here. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And it carries on and says all the people that saw him after he rose again. So that is so critical to what we believe. That is critical that Christ died and on the third day he rose again. And on that hinges our belief that hinges the gospel. So what must I do to receive that? See, we must receive Jesus into our heart and mind to become children of God. So when you're speaking to someone, they must receive him into their heart and their mind. John 1, 11 to 13 says, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. So he was amongst them, but they did not receive him. So you can be coming to church and still not receive him. You can be listening to the messages and still not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the rights to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. And I just want to show you a, dem a demo, and I'm going to call up Mumi. She's going to help me. Now, imagine that Mumi has a gift for me. Okay, she has a gift for me. There we go. Okay, and she's going to give me this gift. What must I do to receive it? I must take it, hey? 
ooh, wow, ooh. That's, that's what most of us do, right? When we get a gift, ooh, ooh, especially ladies, and we want to look and we want to see, and we don't know if it's rude to look at it first or just to say thank you and then open it at home. We don't quite know, but inside, inside we all want to have a look and start digging and see what she's given us. Amen. Okay, so now that's how I received a gift. Now, I want to show you, I think, what many people do about the gift of salvation. So there is Father God, Okay, and the gift of salvation, there we go, in Jesus. Now, I must receive that gift, right? So a lot of people in church, yes, cool, okay, I understand. Okay, ooh, yes, okay, I understand all about that. Yes, okay, yeah, that's cool, yes. Very familiar with that. Can probably share it and bring people to know about this. Okay, yeah, mm, okay, yeah, I see. I see how it how it all hangs together. I see how it works. Yes, that's good. That's good. Mm, okay. And I feel like I'm associated with it. I know all about it. Thanks, Nwumi. Okay, thank you. Won't you clap for her? Okay, so that's what many people are like. Just We know all about it. We know what's inside it. We can probably preach a message or two on it. But have I received it? I have to take it in order to receive it. And it's the same with, let me put this back, it's the same with the gospel we, and Jesus. We have to receive it, you know, receive it into our heart and into our mind. Receive it. And so that's really important. How do you help someone to receive it? You need the Holy Spirit. Have you truly received it or do you just dance around it? Do you know a lot about it? Can you share it, but you still haven't received it, okay? We have to receive Jesus into our heart and into our mind. And as we do that, we receive him as Savior. We receive him as Lord. His word begins to change us from the inside out. Amen. Okay. So it's important to receive it, not just know about it. It's important to receive it, not just be able to share it, not just look at it, be familiar with it. We have to receive it. Okay. We mu- and D, we must acknowledge Jesus as Lord of our lives. Romans 10 verse 9 to 10 says, If you confess with your mouth, that the, lo- uh, mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Okay, we must acknowledge Jesus as Lord of our lives. Number five, from what must we be saved? Well, I think that's quite evident, but I'm going to go through this. From what must we be saved? A, we are saved from sin. Matthew 1 verse 21 says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Everybody sins. No one is without sin. Amen. Okay. Every one of us needs a Savior. B, we are saved from emptiness and the traditions of men. 1 Peter 1 verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. So we redeemed from emptiness and the traditions of men. And a lot of us, I think, need to look at certain traditions we have in our lives and in our families and say, Lord, show me what things are aimless, are aimless, are corruptible, are pointless, are worthless. We've been redeemed from those things. We've been redeemed for a purpose. See, we are saved from our enemies. Luke 1 verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now, when I'm saying this, I'm not saying that you can use the scripture for, um, and pray against your business enemies. Okay. <laughs> 
your competitors, okay? We should be saved from our enemies. If I think of my life, who are my enemies? Fear, perfectionism, all of these things. I have victory over all of these enemies because of what he did on the cross, okay? D, we are saved from the curse of the law. Galatians 3 verse 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So I can't be cursed unless I want to be cursed. You know, some people say, can a Christian have a demon? Well, a Christian can have whatever they want to have. Do you understand? A Christian can have whatever they want to have. Yes, their spirit is um, redeemed. Their spirit is connected with God. So it's not a demon won't come and live inside their spirit. But they can ha- if they have habitual sin in a particular area, and a demon, say a guy or a woman, has a problem in the area of lust, and they have a habitual sin in that area, and a spirit of lust comes to attach itself, they will have that demon because they have habitual sin and, a deb- and he has a legal foothold. If we give the enemy a legal foothold, he will come and take up residence. Okay? Bible says a curse without a cause cannot alight. I can't be cursed. Okay, you can't curse me. You know, some people do have done juju, whatever, things come and come in the night. You know, you can see these weird things appearing in your room at night. It doesn't scare me because I know there's no foothold. So I just want to encourage you, if you have not given the enemy a foothold, if you are not an habitual sin, it can't touch you. If you have unrepentant habitual sin in your life, be careful. There's a reason why we needed Jesus. You're actually not strong enough to hold off those demons by yourself. Amen. Okay, you need to be in submission to the lordship of Christ. So we are saved from the curse of the law. We are saved from wickedness and lawlessness. Titus 2 verse 14 says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Hallelujah. If we are saved from being lost, Luke 19 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So if you don't know Jesus and you don't believe you're lost, well, <laughs> you're very lost because you're lost and you don't know you're lost, okay? <laughs> but he came to seek and save that which was lost. Gee, we are saved from fear. Fear comes in many forms, but one of the biggest fears that people have, I think, is the fear of death, isn't it? Okay? But we are, as Christians, we are freed from that, from the fear of, from many, from many fears, but especially the fear of death. Because when we're born again and hidden with Christ and God, we know what's going to happen when we die. Psalm 27 verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? We can hide ourselves in that scripture. Hide ourselves in him. We need not fear anyone. H, we are saved from condemnation. Romans 8, verse 1 to 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. There's no condemnation. When I have received Jesus, my Lord and Savior, I've received His righteousness. I'm walking in continual When the Holy Spirit convicts me of a sin, I repent of it. I confess it. I repent of it. There's no condemnation. Condemnation does not come from God. Let me just say that God does not oppress. He does not speak harshly. He doesn't condemn. He doesn't shame. You know, some of us have had earthly fathers or father figures who've shamed, who've brought condemnation. And so we think God does that, but God doesn't speak like that. That's the enemy. 
When Jesus came, he came and he took away that condemnation. He removed it from us. We don't have to walk in condemnation. I just want to encourage you today, if there's an area that you feel condemned in, if, there's unre- if you are walking in unrepentant sin, and I, I encourage you to repent of it. Confess, repent, ask for forgiveness, and receive the free gift of cleansing of your conscience. And receive Christ's righteousness. There's no need for us to flog ourselves. Oh, I did this 23 years ago, oh, and I confessed it, and I'm still confessing it every day. Well, what's the point of that? You know, you now punishing yourself and trying to take on yourself some of the punishment that Christ already took. Okay, his punishment was enough. Amen. Number six, what is the nature of God's salvation? God's salvation is abundant. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. Psalm 130 verse 7. God's salvation is eternal, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Hebrews 5 9. It's eternal. God's salvation is available now. It's always available in the now. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 6.2. D, God's salvation is for all. Acts 2 verse 38 to 39 says, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all. All who are afar off, as many as will call on the name of the Lord. E, God's salvation is complete, but it's also progressive. And I know there's often some confusion around this, okay? But um, number one, our spirits were saved or are saved when we are born again. So our spirits immediately get saved connected to the Holy Spirit when we're born again. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17 says, But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Romans 8 9, But you are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So our spirits become renewed immediately when we're born again. Number two, our souls are being saved through the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctification. You know, some people... Um, struggle with this concept, but we may, we spirit, we soul, and we body. Our spirits are saved immediately when we pray that salvation prayer, when we give our lives to the Lord. Our, our, our souls, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions, are being sanctified. That's why we need to continually read the word, we need to renew our minds. We need to continually align ourselves so that we live according to what our Lord Jesus Christ wants. Amen. Sometimes we want to do the things that we know he doesn't want us to do. That's because we're still being sanctified, okay? Titus 3 verse 5, it says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So our spirits are saved. Our souls are being sanctified, Okay, as we read the word, we renew our mind, we come to church, we fellowship, we apply the word, okay? And our bodies will be saved or redeemed at the second coming of the Lord. Romans 8 verse 28 says, Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. 
If you go and read 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 to 55, it speaks about it as well. In the middle of that section of verses, it says, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Okay, so our bodies will be saved. Number seven. So how should we respond to this great salvation? And I am landing this around about now. Okay, how should we respond to this great salvation? A, we must not neglect it. We must not neglect this great salvation. Hebrews 2 verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect this great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? We must not neglect it. B, we must be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Luke 10 verse 20 says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. So if you pray for someone and you see the demons flee, he says, don't rejoice in that. This is Jesus speaking. Don't rejoice that you can, you know, bring deliverance to people or see miracles. Don't rejoice in that. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You see, I think sometimes we take it for granted, and it's easy to take it for granted, but it's very, it's an amazing thing that has happened through salvation. Psalm 13, verse 5, I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. See, we must proclaim this salvation every day. Psalm 96, verse 2 says, Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm like, Surely, Lord, I can proclaim your salvation in what I do. <laughs> Surely, Lord, I can proclaim your salvation by how I act, by how I discipline my kids. I don't know. It says here, proclaim, which is speak out the good news of his salvation from day to day. That means I must be sharing the good news of, of his salvation. Conviction. That convicts me, people. I don't know if it convicts you, but it con share the good news of his salvation from day to today when was the last time you shared the good news of his salvation can someone say they shared the good news of his salvation like the gospel the pure raw gospel this week wow i see a hand at the back awesome 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 okay peeps the rest of us we've got work to do ne? <laughs> we've got some work to do okay share the good news of his salvation from day to day d we must actively walk in our salvation Ephesians 5 verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And we don't have to be like, say to ourselves, walk as a child of the light. Walk as a child of the light. Walk as a, to make ourselves not, you know, not sin. When we're walking and Jesus Lord of our hearts, we walk as children of the light. Amen. Okay, 1 John 1, 5 to 7, this is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Beautiful, beautiful. You know, I can say that in some in certain situations that we're seeing, there's darkness and hiddenness, sin that's done in hiddenness. You know, the challenge when sin is done in hiddenness is kept secret, and the Lord has to bring it out 
you know, that, and the person that still insists on keeping it in secret and hiddenness, doesn't want to, it becomes a problem because they're not walking in the light. And the blood of Jesus does not cleanse them from that sin because it's in darkness. Amen. And a problem that we have in the church, just so, just so you know, and I hope it doesn't apply to any of you, is that some people think that confession is enough. Confession is not enough. It's confession and repentance and a turning from that habitual sin. Just confessing it to different people as you, as you want. This one you confess that part. This one you confess that part. This one you confess this part. So no one knows the whole story and you feel better because you've kind of confessed your sin. You're still in darkness. You haven't confessed it to the people who are in authority over you and you haven't repented of it. And it continues and it's a problem. It's a problem in the church. There's no Lord that, that, in that situation. Where's the lordship? That person is not walking or those people are not walking in the light. They cannot be cleansed from all of their uh, darkness and their sins of the flesh. Okay. E, we must share our faith or the experience of our salvation with others, which I've already touched on. What Psalm 107 verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Acts 4 verse 20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So I'm going to pray for us because I feel so convicted about this that I will not be able to but speak the things that I've seen and heard. Some people, and I know I've heard this and it kind of comforts us, say that your actions speak louder than your words and sharing the gospel is, is seen more in what you do than what you say. But it has to be both. It has to be both, and I want I want to pray for us concerning this. Um, but as I, I've finished, and I think I've done pr a pretty okay job. It's two minutes past eleven. Um, I'm wanting to give an opportunity, first of all, with every head bowed, every eye closed, wanting to give an opportunity to you. You know, Jesus came and died and gave of His life for every single person, for every single sin that has ever been committed. And he rose again so that we can walk in relationship with our Father if we desire it, if we want to. If we want to have the power of darkness, the power of the enemy, the power of our sins broken off of us, we just need to put up our hand and say, yes, Jesus, I want to receive that gift. I want to receive the gift of eternal salvation, knowing that I will live with you in heaven forever, that I will not live in eternal separation from God Maybe, maybe you're here today and you're saying, I want to walk in relationship with this person, Jesus. I want to get forgiveness and, and walk away from condemnation. I want to receive him as my Savior and my Lord. If that is you this morning with every eye closed, will you just slip up your hand so I can see if there's anyone here? You would like to receive this great salvation for yourself. You want to know your Lord. Is there anyone here? Or maybe you're here this morning and you once walked with Christ as your Lord but you know in your heart that there's certain things that you've struggled with that have pulled you back. And you're struggling to walk in complete lordship, uh, under submission to the complete lordship of Christ. If that is you, we want to stand with you as your fellow believers this morning. Father God, we thank you for this word that um, came forth today. We thank you for all those verses that we heard. We thank you for the power that there is in salvation. And today, Lord God, as a congregation, we, we, we want to make a commitment to share this powerful word, Lord.
to proclaim your salvation day by day. May you show us those we can share it with, Lord. May you place people in our hearts that we can pray for regarding this. Lord, we repent where we've been silent regarding this remarkable news, regarding your good news. We pray you would activate us into this. You would enable us. You would give us a heart. You would give us the passion to share this, Lord God, to share this with the lost and to share your heart, Father. I thank you for your word this morning that says that your word that goes forth always brings forth fruit, that always accomplishes that which is sent for. And so we thank you for that over our lives today. Would you bless us, Lord? I pray you would take each one of us home safe today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, E-Family, online family, that was a great message, wasn't it? We really want to fill the globe with all this teaching. Our passion is to raise leaders and release reformers. So if you want to tap into more of these teachings, you can go to www.gochurch.co.za. And I think you'll really be refreshed and reformed as you go through our materials. Well, if you enjoyed that message, click subscribe and also share with your friends, with your enemies. Don't forget... We've got the live feed that takes place 9.30 every Sunday morning.